Amen. You can just hold on to those and we'll grab them at the end of the service or you can chuck them when you're walking out. But, so Romans, we're, uh, we finished the book of Acts last week and now we are beginning in Romans uh, as we progress through the scriptures. That's our, our, our process here. That's, that's uh, how things are done uh, in Calvary Chapel as we go through the, the scripture verse by verse. So we end on one verse, we pick up on the next verse, uh, you know, the next time we meet. It's a uh, tremendous, and I've shared this before, tremendous blessing for me because I don't have to try to figure out what I'm going to talk about the next week. So I, I very much enjoy this. And it's when my wife and I were um, moving uh, to Washington State, leaving when she got transferred from um, the base in Italy to Washington State. And uh, when we were transferring there, we, uh, we knew when we got there we had to find a good church. And uh, I had... Uh, been saved in the Calvary Chapel before we left, and we were in a, uh, a Baptist church over in Aviano. We're totally blessed by the fellowship and, and the time we had there. We really grew leaps and bounds there in our faith. But I knew when we got back here and we had more of a choice, I'm like, man, I want to get into studying the word verse by verse. Um, and not that uh, studying uh, uh, topically is a bad thing. I just I, I, I knew that I wanted to understand more of the Bible and uh, I knew that I could do that uh, and, and learn more uh, being a part of Calvary Chapel because that's the method in which we uh, look at the Bible. We go through it verse by verse, so I'm blessed by it, and this is where we're picking up. So we, we uh, studied in, uh, for a few months through the book of Acts, and we saw what the Holy Spirit did through the apostles and uh, how he worked, and, and when apostles were made, right, they were disciples, the early, the early ones were disciples, right, they were being disciplined in a thought, and that's in Christianity, and being followers of Christ, and then Christ sent them out, which made them apostles, and then we saw the life uh, transformed uh, in Paul, we saw Paul's life, he went from the enemy of Christ to one that was changed, and now was preaching Christ, uh, to the Gentile world. Some, sometimes he'd always go to the, the Jews, and as soon as the Jews would reject him, he would go to the Gentiles, right? That was the order uh, set for him. But we saw a man transformed. We saw how God transformed somebody like Peter. Remember when Peter, uh, early in the, in, in the Gospels, when, when uh, there's the, the time when they're on the boat, and Jesus had just calmed the storms. He stood up and he rebuked the waves and the wind and, uh, and they stopped. And everybody's like, who is this guy? What was Peter's response? Depart from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. We saw as Peter did some you know, numb things and uh, some, some things that we're all, we'll all look and point to him, and, uh, you know, including rejecting the Lord and uh, rejecting that he knew the Lord, right? Denying that he knew the Lord. And, uh, and he said and did some things that he was, he was quickly corrected for. But we saw the Holy Spirit poured out upon him and how the Holy Spirit made all the difference in his life, right? His spirit was willing, but his flesh was weak, right? And uh, we got to witness what the Lord did, uh, mainly uh, it, through, through many, uh, as we read through Acts. But uh, specifically, the highlights are the ministries of the Holy Spirit through uh, um, his life, Peter's life, and Paul. Uh, is the, the main focus there. So now uh, we get to uh, Paul writing. So uh, the, the book of Acts, our study there has completed. And the, the next chapter and verse we pick up is 
uh, in Romans, Romans chapter 1, verse 1. So uh, written between 56 and 58 A.D., uh, Paul wrote this uh, on his third, at the end of his third missionary journey um, while he was in Corinth. Uh, you can look at Acts 20 and kind of see what was going on uh, when he wrote this. That's about when uh, it's believed that he, was, he wrote this. Uh, it is also widely believed that a uh, lady named Phoebe was the one to deliver the, the, the letter uh, from Paul to the Romans. In Romans 16, at the end of this book, we'll see uh, her being commended to uh, the people, saying receive her uh, and, and give her, uh, uh, receive her in a worthy manner, and uh, that she was a, uh, a great helper in ministry. Now, as we get into this, uh, this letter, the four Gospels uh, focus on the words and works of Jesus Christ. Uh, and what we see here in, Rome's, uh, sorry, in Romans is uh, what is the significance of Jesus Christ's words and works? What, what does that mean? What does it mean uh, that, that Christ died on the cross? What did that accomplish? And, and, and Paul dives right into that. He uses a question and answer format. When we go through, he'll he'll often ask a question and then uh, he'll he'll answer it himself, right? But he's 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 saying, well, you may say this. Well, well, here's the answer. Here's the correct answer as you as you progress through. And Paul explains who we are without Christ, and then he also uh, explains uh, who we are after we've accepted Christ. So uh, it's it's quite a an interesting. There's there's a lot more. Um, there, there's, uh, that I could spend a whole, uh, time here just introducing the book and how powerful it is. That isn't the goal today. The goal is to hopefully get through the first 17 verses. I came into this going, I hope to get through the whole thing. And I'm like, there's no way. Uh, so we're, we're going to focus on the, uh, the first 17 verses here, but it is a powerful book of theology. You want to dive in and understand more of who God is, uh, more of, uh, what God demands, and uh, you know, who we are, you really want to understand more. This is a great book, but it also serves as a practical book. Uh, how do we practically live out righteousness uh, in our lives? So there's an exhortation here uh, for us to, to live lives that are um, representing people that uh, stand in the righteousness of Christ. So when we go through this book, we're going to see that there are a lot of facts in here. And having a head knowledge of the facts isn't just enough for us, right? We have to apply those things. To understand them, yes, we should understand them. But how does this? what does this mean? How do I apply this to my life and, and walk as a Christian now that I'm a new creation in Christ? What, is, what does this mean? So we're called to a life of righteousness that we're going to see as we study through here. Because we've been justified, which means we've been made acceptable in, in front of God, uh, uh, by by grace, uh, through our redemption we have in Jesus Christ, there is a righteous life that is demanded of us. If we if we bear His name, then then we have to uh, follow His teaching. We have to follow the Word. We have to submit our will to His. Now the book can be divided into four sections, uh, all revolving around the main theme, which the main theme is righteousness. As we as we uh, study through here. But uh, the, the first section would be Romans 1, verses 18 through uh, 3.20, and uh, righteousness needed, the human condition. 
It's explaining the human condition that we are sinful and that we are in need of a Savior. We're all lost and we all stand in our sin. Every single one of us have sinned. We've all done something wrong, right? Usually it doesn't take long if we look back on our history to look and go, yeah, I've sinned at one point or another, right? I mean, if we ever got a spanking as kids, unless you had just some awful parents that would just spank you for even doing the right thing, right? Then we understand that we've done something wrong. Right. There was a, a disobedience that happened there. Uh, but we understand that there's righteousness needed. Uh, the second section uh, will be uh, chapter three, twenty, uh, verse twenty one through eight thirty nine. And that's uh, speaking of a righteousness that was provided. Romans three twenty three says for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans five, eight says, but God demonstrated his own love toward us that in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So there's, uh, we have uh, all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and then we see uh, that there is righteousness that is available. It's been provided uh, for us. The third section that we'll study together is uh, uh, righteousness being rejected. Romans 9 verse 1 through 11.36 Romans 10 verses 9 and 10 say that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe with your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Continues in verse 13 of Romans 10, whoever calls upon uh, calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So there's the pleading like, hey, you need to accept Jesus Christ. The uh, anybody who hasn't uh, needs to accept Jesus. And if they come to a point of belief, then this is how somebody accepts Jesus Christ. No more rejecting, but here's the, the call to uh, receive uh, Christ. And the fourth section is righteousness demonstrated, that it, it needs to be demonstrated in our life. We can look at Jesus Christ as the ultimate example, but for us, we are called to demonstrate righteousness in our lives. And we'll get to this uh, many weeks from now. But Romans 12, verses 1 and 2 say, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So Romans makes it clear that there's nothing we can do to save ourselves, but that we need to come to the realization that we are sinners in need of a Savior, that Jesus Christ is that Savior, and he offers that forgiveness and uh, the, uh, the washing away of our sins because of who he is and what he has done for us. And then once we've become new, once we've believed in our heart and confessed with our mouth, once we've become new, there's now an expectation for us to live a godly life. And, and to represent Christ by how we live. You know, that we would present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable service, it says. This is reasonable for you if you're uh, confessing Christ. Now, uh, right before we get into, we're going to get into verse 1 here in just a moment. But before we do, it's, it's important for us to understand some of the key words that we need to recognize and understand as we study through this. So there are powerful words used here, uh, and some of them are, for example, law, you know, God's commandments and instructions for us, sin, disobedience to God's word, grace, God's undeserved favor uh, that, that we can 
uh, obtain because he, he just offers it. Faith. Uh, Ro- uh, sorry, um, Hebrews describes uh, faith in uh, Hebrews 11.1. 1 says, uh, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So uh, we need to understand what faith is. We understand, uh, understand what righteousness is, that uprightness and integrity in our lives. Flesh, you know, flesh, the word flesh is here. And that's our sinful carnal being and spirit, that eternal. Uh, we'll, we'll dive into the eternal and see how the eternal uh, is, is warring with our flesh. If we uh, find ourselves not understanding these words, law, sin, grace, faith, righteousness, flesh, uh, spirit, we're going to find ourselves in a spot where we're not going to benefit much from the study uh, if we don't understand what those are. So I've just I've given you the, the quick definition of each of them, uh, but we're going to dive into them as we study. So as we prepare to get into verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1, I'll share with you uh, what Warren Wearsby, how he lays out um, uh, this letter. He says, Paul begins the letter by connecting himself to the Romans in three different ways. He presents to them uh, his credentials, he explains his concern, and he affirms his confidence. And as we study through here, I just figured uh, that would be beneficial. It was awesome for me to read that. You know, what was Paul trying to accomplish he, and, and how did he do it? Uh, he presented who he is, his credentials, uh, and uh, and then it continues through in him expressing his concerns and then uh, affirming his confidence. So there's a lot here uh, just in these first 17 verses. Uh, you know, his credentials are coming up in verses 1 through 7. Um, verses 8 through 15 are his concern, and 16 and 17 speak of his uh, the, the confidence. So uh, as we look at the first portion of Paul presenting his credentials, chapter 1, verse 1 of the book of Romans says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. So Paul, uh, who we're familiar with, uh, that, that as a church, we, we understand who he was. He was a Pharisee, and uh, he uh, was opposed to the church. He was there when Stephen was stoned, cast his vote against him, held everybody's jackets so they could stone him to death after he preached a sermon for the ages. And then in, uh, with him being enraged against the gospel, he, uh, on the road to Damascus, uh, had the authority in his hand uh, to go persecute the church. And uh, his intention was to break up the church, to try to stop Christianity from spreading. But he was met with, Jesus Christ met him, blinded him on the road to Damascus, changed his life. And we watched what God did in his heart and through his life. And we, so we've seen Paul. So he starts off by explaining who he is in, in writing to the Romans. He says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, a doulos, uh, the Greek word doulos. And he's a willing, uh, committed servant of Jesus Christ. He's a slave of Christ. So he starts off, this guy that could have this massive, you know, you think of today's world, what somebody might do with, with uh, Paul's credentials. You know, the, the RVs and, and the, the, the TV coverage and the radio. Like somebody could use, misuse uh, what God has done in their life and benefit from it monetarily and in all other ways, uh, uh, worldly ways. But what does Paul do? Paul is identify him by identifying himself as a servant of Jesus Christ. As a servant, I'm a slave. Think of that. Think of that, right? Because we can look at somebody who's in a spiritual uh, spiritual position and think, oh, they're way cooler than I am, or they're way more spiritual. Nope. 
Everybody just the same, sinful beings, you know, just called by the Lord to do different things, right? Paul identifies himself in the lowest manner he can and says, I'm a bondservant. Paul, this is who, uh, you know, I'm writing to you. And he says he's a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Now that bondservant, right, we saw it, it, it pictured in Exodus uh, 21, where if a servant desired to stay in the house of their master, they could take in a ceremony, they could take an awl, and the master would drive an awl through their ear and put a gold earring in, and that would be the symbol that that person is now a permanent uh, part of that family. They've said, no, this isn't just a job to me. This is part of the family. So that when, when Paul says this, he says, I'm permanently connected to Jesus Christ, my master, and I'm his slave. Uh, and, and I'm his servant. So it's a wonderful thing when Paul would identify himself as a bondservant. And he says I'm call, uh, that he's called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. Called to be an apostle. An apostle is one who has been sent out. We talked about that earlier. So he's been sent by Jesus Christ. And we, we watched that happen in Paul's life. We saw the conversion happen for him in Acts chapter 9. And we know that Ananias went to encourage him. And uh, we know that Paul uh, was directly um, uh, uh, you know, called to be an apostle by Jesus Christ. And we watched the prophecies about Paul and what was said about him unfold uh, in our study in the book of Acts and, and, and see how God uh, used him. He says he's separated to the gospel. Uh, the gospel, the, the word means good news. He's separated to good news. That's what his life is all about. That's what he's saying is uh, the only thing I do in my life is spread the gospel. And uh, that he's a minister. He's one that's been sent out by Christ to spread the gospel. So he's been set apart for good news. Before, he was the bad news, right? Everybody was afraid, right? When, when Paul came to faith, everybody's like, this same Paul? Even Ananias, when the Lord went and spoke to him, right? But when the Lord spoke to Ananias, he told him, don't worry about him. I got him. You, you can go speak to, uh, go speak to Paul. And he's, isn't this the guy that's like you know, persecuting Christians and dragging? Yep, it, it's going to be all right. I got uh, uh, something for you to do. So uh, when we understand that he's now uh, gone from being the bad news to the one spreading the good news, from enemy of Christ uh, to preacher of Christ, it's quite. Uh, I mean, there can't be a more profound um, conversion in someone's life to one who is murdering Christians to making Christians, right, <laughs> to preach. Like, it doesn't get more dramatic than that, right? I'm going to go out and I'm going to uh, I'm going to talk to people. I'm going to look to persuade them. And he would spend days with people trying to persuade them. You know, that's quite a change in his life, separated to the gospel. Verse 2, which he promised, therefore, through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So the, the promised good news of God through the prophets. Jesus Christ fulfilled more than 300 Bible prophecies in his earthly ministry. They'll start with Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, where God said that he would put enmity, opposition or hostility, between uh, you, being uh, Satan, and the woman. And between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. God spoke of a Savior coming all the way back to when mankind fell, of one that was going to come to crush his head, Satan's head, and that, yes, you would bruise his heel. And we understand there was just a bruising there that Jesus Christ raised uh, from the dead. Galatians 4 says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law. 
Galatians 4 4. So uh, that's uh, Paul writing to the church of Galatia. So Genesis chapter 3 15, there was the promise of a son coming, born of a woman. Galatians 4 declares that it was uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, Hebrews 2 14 says, Inasmuch as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus, likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had power, the power of death, that is the devil. That Jesus Christ destroyed the, the ultimate victory over Satan by Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. So we see those things coming together. There was one promise in Genesis 3.15. We saw the promise fulfilled. And then we see Paul explaining those things uh, in Galatians. And I believe Paul was also the writer of Hebrews. Some think it was Luke. Doesn't necessarily matter to us 2,000 years later right now who actually penned it. The Holy Spirit penned it. And there's the answer for us, right? There was also more prophecies given uh, regarding the coming Savior. Psalm 22, verses 14 through 18. Speak of a Savior that was suffering on the cross. It says, I am poured out, verse 14, poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. And my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of the earth, for dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked have en has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and my clothing the, uh, for my clothing they cast lots. Those, these are prophecies that spoke of one that was coming. And what Israel was expecting when, when the Christ would come would be one that would be the political leader to deliver them from the powers of Rome. When they, when they heard, oh, the Christ is here, they're like, sweet, here we go, this is our time. We don't have to serve under Rome anymore. What they didn't realize is that the one that was coming to save them from a much more cruel master than Rome, that, that, and that would be sin in our lives, right? That, that one that was so much more powerful over our lives than any ruler could be. Sin. What sin does to our lives. The last one we're going to look at is a prophecy speaking uh, to Jesus Christ coming. As Isaiah 53 verse uh, starts in verse 3 uh, through verse 6 says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely... He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our, our uh, transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The prophecies speaking of a coming, this is speaking of a suffering Savior to die in, in our place. So these prophecies that were mentioned, which he promised before through the prophets in the Holy Scripture, those promises that would come, we just read a few of them. There are over 300 of them to look at, right? So we're ju we just looked at a few of them. Genesis 3, Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, and understanding what was promised. It was promised one that would defeat death for us, that would take on the punishment that we deserve for our sin, that he was chastised uh, for for us. 
the chastisement of our peace was upon him. That he was bruised for our iniquities, the things that we did wrong, right? Verse 3, Romans 1. Concerning his son Jesus Christ, the prophecies is speaking, concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David, seed of David according to the flesh. Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. Now this is 700 years before Christ. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with ju with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord uh, of hosts will perform this. So where it says here concerning Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David. If you go to Isaiah chapter nine, it says upon the throne of David is where uh, Jesus Christ sits as it was promised to David. Right. So there's there's many things for us as we're looking through here. We can kind of read right over those. But when we understand what Paul is saying, who was born of the seed of David. Matthew chapter one, verse one says the book of the genealogy genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. If you skip to 17 in Matthew one, it says, so all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations from David until the captivity in Babylon are 14 generations. And from the captivity in Babylon until the Christ are 14 generations. The connection where, where Paul is saying here that he was born of the seed of David. And then we see that throughout the scripture promised David, uh, the Lord promised David that there would be one from him that would sit forever. And then we see that taking place. We saw it prophesied of right in Isaiah chapter nine. And then we see that prophecy uh, being explained and being fulfilled in Matthew chapter one, verse one and verse 17, where he's called the son of David and he's an everlasting king. There's no end to the, the, the kingdom of Christ and his reign. Verse four says, and declared to be the son of God and uh, with power, according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Now, I realize I use a lot of scripture verses and I don't apologize, but uh, but I just say I know sometimes it might be hard um, if you're uh, just write down the reference or if you need guys, I can print these. I can email them to you. I don't care. Uh, but that's how the Lord speaks to me. He speaks to me and he shows me different scriptures and, and how they tie in together. Um, it has been said directly to my face. You use a lot of references. Yes, I do. And there was not a, you know, because we're about the word of God, right? You know, if, if I want to teach the God, uh, teach the word of God accurately, what's the what what better commentary is there than the word of God itself? OK, so I know I, I, I share a lot of these things. And I don't mean to overwhelm you, but. There's always a reason for it. God is always showing this ties in here and highlight this part. And I'm most of the time typing and I'm trying to copy paste and put things in here as fast as I can because I'm so excited to share them and, and to say it right. I can't even say it without running out of, out of breath. But I know I use a lot. Bear with me. OK, it says in verse four and, and declare to be the son of God with power, according to the, the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. Right. So if you consider John 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, right? Uh, he was in the beginning with God, and uh, without him nothing was made that was made. 
And when we see all that being explained in the first three verses and that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, okay? When we consider who he is. So in the beginning was the word, the word was God, uh, the word was with God and the word was God, right? When we understand who this son of God is. John chapter 14, verses 7 uh, through 11, the Lord speaking, he says, If you had known me, you would have known my father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, well, this is a familiar verse to us, right? We spent some time studying this. Uh, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long? And yet uh, you have not known me, Philip. He who has seen me has seen the Father. So Jesus, as the Son, is saying, if you've seen me, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Son is the perfect representation of everything that the Father is. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe, in, uh, believe me for the sake of the works themselves. This is Jesus Christ making that bold declaration that he is the Son of God, where it says, and declared to be the Son of God with power, the power that he says here, the authority that he has uh, from the Father. By the resurrection from the dead, he's, it also continues. Considering resurrection, a few more verses for you. John chapter 10, verses 17 through 18 say, Therefore my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it back again, to, to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. Command I have received from my Father. Verses, uh, Mark, last one, Mark 10, verse uh, 33 and 34 says, Behold, I am going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and scourge him, and spit on him, and kill him, and the third day he will rise again. Jesus Christ claimed to be the Son of God according to the spirit of holiness and by the resurrection of the dead, as it was said in verse 4, as we're studying through here. I know I've given you a whole handful of verses and references. There are more to chew on, right? This We're about getting into the meat of the word uh, when we gather together. So God is uh, so good and he loves us so much, he gives us, he feeds us really well, right? Look at the food we have here. Verse 5, through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among the nations uh, for his name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ is the linchpin to grace, right? Where it says here in verse, verse 5, uh, through him we have received grace and apostleship uh, for obedience to the faith. So how do we receive grace? What brings, like, okay, there's grace that exists. How does the sinner receive it? Jesus Christ being the one that connects those two through Jesus Christ. So through him we've received grace and apostleship. God not only wants to save us, he wants to build us in our relationship with him, and then he wants to use us. That's a wonderful thing for us to think of because when I look back at my past, I go, oh, man. I did this, I said this, and all those things, and then to understand that God just takes those things, removes them, covers me, 
by the precious blood of Christ, makes me a new creation in him, builds me, and all that stuff's gone. It's not even a memory for him. It's gone. Verse 7, To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul calls them beloved of God. That's, that's a, a wonderful comfort, isn't it? To know that we are beloved of God, that God loves us, and he, just like he loved them. And he says, called to be saints. Now the question is, what is a saint? Um, and I'm not here to just, guys, I grew up Catholic. Uh, I have many of my family members uh, that are Catholic, so I'm not uh, trying to cut off any relationship with them. They get mad at me. I'll apologize and show them here. Hey, look, I'm not trying to pick a fight with you or anything. But sainthood is totally different within Catholicism. Uh, so, so what is a saint? You know, because how many times have you ever heard, oh, that person is a saint, right? What, what, what does it mean uh, to be a saint? It's it really biblically, um, biblical sainthood is someone who is separated from the world in Christ, set apart to God. That's what it means to be a saint, that we're separated. But if we look at it, uh, you know, the way the Catholic Church has done it, uh, and uh, it's it's really uh, quite a, a thing. You know, they'll they'll call it a canonization. Uh, process and and uh, it's a what will happen is five years after somebody's death, um, there will be a reflection of well how did you live your life, uh, and and then there'll be a, a, a scrutiny based on how you're living your life. Does it make you feel like a judge? Like think of it like can you imagine being the one sitting there and and considering these things like okay how did they live their lives? Okay, any miracles attributed to them? You know all these things and it's it's scary to even speak of. Um, but the Pope makes the final decision whether someone is, is named a, a saint or not. Guys, biblical sainthood is one that just stands in Christ, that's been set apart to Christ, and uh, that we are, are walking in him. So uh, we all who have ac accepted Christ are saints. It's not like Paul was just writing to the one dead guy, right? So if he's writing that letter, right, if you use that, that mentality, he's writing to people that have been dead at least five years. Right when he says this, uh, you were called to be saints while you were living. You missed the call or whatever, right? So he's talking to people that are living, and he's telling them because of what Jesus Christ did uh, for you, and you accepting that, and you being set apart to Christ. Those are the people I'm writing to, and and he says that you've been uh, been called to be saints, and he then he says grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You guys have been here long enough. You know what I'm going to talk about next. Grace and peace, the Siamese twins in the, in, in the scriptures, right? You cannot have a peace in our, we can't have peace in our lives without experiencing the grace of God, right? So we can't have peace with God without experiencing his grace. Those two things always go together. Grace always comes first, then peace is mentioned afterward. So once we've experienced the grace of God, then we have uh, the peace of God in our lives. Now we move in uh, to... Uh, Paul expressing his concern for the church in the uh, verses 8 through 15. Now, Paul had a true pastor's heart. He was very thankful for them. He says that he was praying for them, and he longed uh, to see them, longed to, to visit them. Paul, uh, Paul, it, it, what's, what's neat is as he's writing this, he's called in Acts 23, after he wrote this, he's called to, he's, he's told by Christ that he was going to Rome. But Paul has a burden on his heart, even as he's writing this, when, you, when he's on his, uh, ending his third missionary journey and he's in Corinth, he's writing this before he knows for, sh for sure that he's going to Rome. So, but he wanted to see them. He longed to see them. Verse 8 says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. 
For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by mutual faith, both of you and me. So he goes, first of all, and he says, I, I just got to tell you first that I thank God for you all. Um, you know, he, and he says that, that he's, he's blessed to know that of their strong faith that's known around the world. And then he tells them that he's been praying for them without ceasing. If somebody tells you they've been praying for you, the proper response is thank you, right? That means that that person is in their own prayer time going and petitioning on your behalf, right, uh, for whatever we may be going, what may be going on in our lives, that somebody is going to God and, and, and lifting you up in prayer to God and, and, and asking God to minister, to bless, to intervene, whatever it may be, what, what's going on. But think of what it means when somebody tells, or when we tell somebody, I'm praying for you, hopefully they understand what that means. Because Paul's saying he did that endlessly. They need never stop. When he was in prayer, he's praying for them that they would continue in these things. He's petitioning. It's a wonderful and powerful thing, to this prayer, that this thing called prayer that we have available to us, that opportunity to go before the Lord and be in front of him and to present our, position, uh, our, our petitions to him. We often do that selfishly, right? God, I got this going on, that going on. I need you to take care of it. Oh, by the way, I told this person I was going to pray for them, and I haven't prayed for them yet, so I need to pray for them now, right? We can get to that point. Paul is saying, that he, they, he was so burdened for them that he was just constantly praying for them. He just wanted them to come. That's the heart of a pastor. He had a burning desire. If it was in God's will for him to be there, uh, and he believed that if he got there, he could uh, help them be more spiritually established and uh, that he would be encouraged with them. So he could encourage them and that he would be encouraged. Because it's an encouragement, right? When we see somebody... That we're trying to teach anything. It doesn't necessarily have to be a spiritual truth or whatever. But you're trying to teach them, and then they figure it out, right? I was blessed. Um, actually, uh, I was just talking with Alan uh, this morning, and he got to spend some time with his daughter uh, working on the chicken coop. And no doubt blessed. I'm sure there were there were proud moments that when he's doing this, he's like, ah, she gets it. And, you know, oh, we're going to do these things, right? We get to those points where you see somebody getting it. You see some like, I was trying to teach it. For me, it's been, I mean, I, I, I will never, uh, as far as, based on what, I have no ambition to ever uh, do anything recording-wise as uh, playing my guitar. I, I fell in love with playing it. I'm an okay player, a guitar player, and that's I'm comfortable with that. I want to be better. But when somebody sits there, and I know they don't know some of the basics that I know, and I sit down, I'm like, oh, yeah, try these things. And they're trying to get their fingers, because there's, there's dexterity that has to be developed in your fingers to be able to do these things. And, and then to see them in the next week, and they're like, hey, I've been working on this. Oliver, when he was picking up guitar, I remember him coming, and he's like, he's doing this, and he's like, okay, what's this? And and he's just learning these things. And when you see that, when you see somebody picking up, okay, you said this or whatever, um, not that I you know, taught him everything he knows or whatever, but when you spend time with somebody, you see them get it. It's it's a joy, right? And then Paul's saying that as I'm pouring myself into you and I'm seeing and I'm petitioning, and, and when I see that God is working and he's building you up and you're, you're getting it, Paul is just saying, I just want to be there. I want to be there and minister to you. So he, he, he loves these people. He has a, a burning desire in his heart for them to grow. Verse 13, 
Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned uh, to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I may have some fruit among you also, just as among the other, uh, the other Gentiles. I'm a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, uh, both to wise and to unwise. So as much as in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. So Paul explains that he wanted to be with them, but he, he was hindered until then. And, you know, makes us realize that sometimes our desires and God's uh, plan don't always line up the way we would want them to. But it's all we should always rest in knowing that God knows better than we do. Because I know that I've had godly desires. I'm like, God, would you please open the door so I can speak to that person? Or can you, you know, whatever it may be, can you make this guy? And it doesn't. And, and, and there's a frustration there. And we have to like, we're not responsible for that. We're not responsible for the work of the Holy Spirit. He does that work. He orchestrates those things. He speaks to the heart. He convicts the heart. He's the one that draws people to Christ. We can be used for that, but if we're trying to say, hey, on my terms and in my plan, this is how it's going to happen, we're going to be disappointed. But we have to trust that God knows better than we do. So, you know, Paul is saying that he was hindered, but we just have to be able to trust in, in his will. And, and we know that Paul did. Paul, uh, you know, wrote Romans, uh, uh, you know, before he was visited by Jesus. I explained this earlier in Acts 23, uh, uh, verse 11, it says, but the following night the Lord stood by him stood by Paul and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, uh, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you also you must also bear witness at Rome. So he had this burning desire. He wanted to be with them. He was hindered. Uh, but when he was writing this before, he didn't realize that Jesus was going to send him to, to Rome specifically. So uh, Paul uh, was here because he couldn't get there. Um, by himself. He was hindered. Uh, Paul used the only method he could uh, to reach the, the, the people in Rome. And uh, so he writes a letter. And there's a lesson in that for us to understand that Paul, as a means of communicating with them, he had, now when we read like Ephesians or you read in Timothy, he had already established relationship with these people. And now he's writing to encourage them. Now what he's doing now is he's encouraging them and he hopes to meet them someday. Right, so it's a little bit reverse order of what we've seen, what we see in the in the Pauline epistles, and those things. But but when we understand, you know, uh, that that Paul at this point hasn't met them yet, he's setting a great example for us that we would use whatever means necessary we have that are in, within our control to use to reach those. And we don't we don't know what that's going to look like, but if we know, hey, you know what, I can't be in front of them, but maybe I can pick up my phone and make a phone call. Maybe I can send them a text and encourage them. Maybe I can, you know, I don't know how many of us have to email somebody, but sometimes that's a safer way to do it, right? You just pull up our, our, our email account and send them an email and say, hey, uh, I can't really talk on the phone right now um, uh, or, you know, I can't meet with you. So I, ju I just need you to know. You ever received that text or sent that text before? Hey, just wanted to let you know I'm praying for you, right? Here I am doing this, right, Becky? Right? Uh, because you know, the French are talking with my hands, right? But uh, there's the uh, there's a great encouragement that comes from that, and we also want to encourage somebody else. By what means? It may not be face to face. You know, there there are times where you know when Jen and I lived in Italy, my and we were just starting really getting diving into our relationship with the Lord, and there's these burdens on my heart 
where I'm like, I want to sit down and I want to convince everyone in my family, you're going to come to Christ right now and I'm going to show you how and this is all these things, right? I'm in Italy and we're six hours difference, right? So if they call me at 8 o'clock here, it's 2 o'clock in the morning. That happened several times, didn't it? By the way, 24 years ago today, that uh, that woman was uh, agreed to be my wife. This is our 24th anniversary, so clap for her. Clap for her, please, right? Now, praise God. Proverbs 18.22 says that he who finds a wife has found a good thing, uh, and I have found that in her. And uh, so, But I remember, you know, when we were over there, she uh, she uh, would uh, we'd sleep in, and 2 o'clock in the morning, I got buddies calling, hey, what's going on over there? Just sleeping, right? But I didn't have the opportunity. So I can understand that, like, I can't come back, and I can't sit down and have coffee and have breakfast and talk about these things. But what would we do? We'd say, I used to send emails. You know, I'd sit there and I'd send you because it costs a lot of money to call from them. So I'd send an email. Didn't get very much for responses, but I would send an email to people and say, hey, I want to encourage you to, to accept the Lord and, and come to faith in those things. Uh, so I, I can I can relate a little bit here uh, to what he's he's trying to uh, what he's uh, doing here and that burning desire. So he's using everything he could. He wanted to invest in them that uh, they might be fruitful in their faith. And he calls himself a debtor. Because he's the apostle to the Gentiles, he wants to spread uh, the gospel everywhere. So he, he identifies himself as a debtor, one that's obligated to minister to them. Uh, so that's a, even a powerful thing there. The guy's calling himself a debtor, a bondservant, you know, an apostle, one that's been sent out. It's, and to know the incredible things that God used uh, him to do, it did not go to his head. He didn't get all conceited and say, oh, because I'm so great. He doesn't do any of that. He understands who Jesus is and that God is, is working through him. So he says, since I can't be there, I, I want to be, but I'm ready to preach the gospel to you. Verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For the Greek, you know, God, uh, when we consider uh, the gospel, the gospel is the greatest story mankind will ever hear. There is no greater love story. There is no greater um, uh, powerful story of redemption than what the, the gospel offers. The, the good news, right? This is the good news. You ever heard people say, well, that was, you know, uh, that was gospel truth, you know, and, and they're talking about like their brakes were seized up on their car. You know, I, I had to find out, you know, whether, whether that was gospel or not, whether, whether the brakes received it, it, These are conversations I've had with people. I had to find out if it was, if it was right. No gospel means good news. And, and when he says, I am not ashamed of the good news of Christ, you know, that the, the gospel has the power to save any sinner, to change uh, any life, to give strength in, in time of need, uh, to give uh, comfort and peace, to give hope and eternal life why would we ever be ashamed of it, right? But sometimes, have we cowered? <laughs> have we cowered? We've been ashamed. But if we wanted to talk about the bad old days, right? Bad old days, hey, this is my old life. and huh, Let's talk about how funny that time was. Hey, you know, we stole the alcohol, we did this, that, and that. Like, we, we, we're, we're comfortable sharing that. That's what we should be ashamed of, right? That We should look back and go, oh, you know, and say, you know what, I, ah, man, yeah, yeah, I was an idiot before, right? And just be so uh, ready and willing to share the gospel of Christ that we'd never be ashamed. Why? For it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. It's the power of God to salvation. 
for the Jew first, just in that order, Jew first and all, also to the Greek. It's just that's the order it came from. You know, that the, the, the gospel came, right? Went to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, Paul had every earthly reason to be ashamed of the gospel. You know, when you when you consider it, this this is what Paul said that he received forty stripes minus one on five different occasions, right? That's lashings, right? Beaten with rods, stoned uh, three times, shipwrecked a day and a night in the deep, and journeys often, perils of water, perils of robbers, of my own countrymen, perils of the Gentiles in the cities uh, uh, in the wilderness. So. Uh, Hebrews, uh, the Gentiles. These are all things that Paul suffered for the name of Christ. Perils in the sea, perils among false brethren, in uh, weariness and toil, sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in cold and nakedness, and other things. What comes on me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. You see what Paul's saying? He's saying, I've gone through all of those things. Those are things that he's gone through, and what he's saying is, is daily I have a deep concern for all the church. He is a true pastor at heart. But if you want to consider somebody that I, – I watched a, a YouTube video of a street preacher this week, um, and uh, he just he had, a, uh, um, he had a sign on a college campus, and it said, uh, abortion is murder, and he was explaining that there's, there's forgiveness and grace uh, through Jesus Christ written on there. And he's, you know, people are coming up and they're talking to him and, and uh, he's he's sharing that. Some are uh, receptive, some are not and everything. And then all of a sudden he's just standing there. Guy runs by and throws a slushie right in his face and all over the side. <clears throat> There's a form of persecution there. And in grace and in uh, in the love of God, he's a he looked like he's bigger and stronger than the other guy. Probably could have broke him in half. And this other guy's like, you want me to go get him? I can go get him. He's like, no, no, no. Right, he washes his face off, cleans his thing, and stands there, and he's ready to continue ministering. Right? We have to understand that we might we may face persecution for the gospel that we're preaching, but we can't let that be something that would make us ashamed of the gospel. We can't be ashamed of Christ. If we're ashamed of him, he's going to be ashamed of us, right? Man, when Paul can say, why would I be, you know, I wouldn't be ashamed. <clears throat> Paul was a very religious man. He had every right uh, in re in a religious man's eyes to be prideful, and uh, you know this is what he, Paul had to say about his religious qualifications in Philippians three, uh, verse starts in verse seven. It says, uh, "But what things were gained to me, these things I have counted for loss." Because he had these big law, a big long list of, hey, I, you know, I was born of, of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees. He's got all these things, and this is what he has to say about all those things. But uh, what things were gained to me, uh, sorry, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted for lo uh, loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through Christ, uh, faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his res resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That's what Paul had to say about himself. You know, that gospel that he was preaching, you know, that he could go around and say, hey, uh, you know, I, I, I had it all. You know, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees, that he could be prideful in how God was using him. But what he's saying is, is 
not, nothing were. And even that old life and where people will go, oh, he's a Pharisee and he's got all these, uh, you know, he's he's a religious leader. Uh, he's he's looked upon as a guy that's kept the law to the T and all these things. And he's saying that means absolutely nothing with a relationship with Christ. Why would we be ashamed of that? Right. We can be look back in, in our pride at, at our pride and be ashamed. Right. And what Paul is saying is those things mean nothing. All those things. Uh, but his identity in Christ uh, was the most important. No boasting in his qualifications. His only boast was in Christ. And he considered everything else to be trash uh, to knowing God. He's not ashamed of the gospel. He's no longer a living in shame because of the gospel. Is what it, 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 That's what he could boast in. He's like, why would I be ashamed of those things? I will, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Verse 17, for in it, the gospel, uh, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. The righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. You know, man's sinfulness that we fall short of his glory and perfection. You know, where where the, the command of God is be holy for I am holy. Uh, outside of Christ, there wouldn't be one of us holding our hand up here saying, I am holy, right? Outside of Christ, right? If we are, we got to go get our heads checked, right? Or we just need somebody who loves us, going to give us the loving rebuke of, you know, you don't know, you know what you're talking about. So there's some debate regarding faith to faith and, and uh, what that phrase means. The NIV says a, um, a righteousness uh, that is by faith from first to last. Uh, the New Living Translation says, from uh, start to finish by faith, um, there's uh, the two, there are two sayings uh, that uh, in beliefs that say that this may mean from day one of our journey with God until the last, or that it's progressive, growing through faith uh, from one day to another. So uh, the scholars have argued over from faith to faith what that means, or uh, you know, does that mean from believer to believer? There are all kinds of different things. I wouldn't get wrapped up around uh, the axle about it, but uh, those are some. Uh, some things to consider, but it says the just shall live by faith. So he's he's uh, quoting Habakkuk uh, chapter two verse four. So and what he's saying is here is that the righteous shall live eternally because of faith in Christ. The just shall live by faith. We we shall live. We shall have eternal life because of faith in Christ. That's when, when we really look at deep down what that's saying is we have eternal life in Christ. Those that are standing in Christ's righteousness have eternal life. That's such a powerful thing to consider. Hebrews 11.6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please God, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We have to, the just shall live by faith. So we have to believe in God and we have to believe in what he's offering and then we can stand in his righteousness and trust that we shall live eternally because of what Christ uh, has done. So I'm going to close here. But this also, we can look at it as in, in, a, in a practical meaning. Um, uh, this is just in my, my own encouragement to you, I should say, is there are times where we're not going to believe that. There are going to be times where we're like, am I really saved? Am I, re am I just like spinning my wheels here? You guys ever felt that way? You, because the problem is, is there's feelings attached, right? How often do our feelings deceive us, right? Have you ever been to the point where our, your feelings have wrapped you up so much over what somebody might think or might have said, and then you go talk to them and it's totally not that at, at all and you've tortured yourself, right? 
We cannot trust our feelings. We cannot say, well, I feel this and this. No, God did give us feelings. He gave us emotion, right? So when we're sad, we cry. And there's a healing element to, like, after you've cried, right? You had that cry. You have those, uh, you know, the endorphins just go crazy. And you have a little bit of boost of an en energy where you're like, I feel a little bit better. You know, or laughter because something's funny or we enjoy something. We, we are given emotions. Those are from God. Uh, but but when we understand, we can't trust our our um, you know feelings. We can't we can't put our trust in those. So um, when we consider that uh, you know that as we're walking with the Lord, and if there's no like no big hidden sin in our life, or there's nothing crazy going on, we're not rejecting our relationship with the Lord. We're going to church. We're feeding uh, you know our our souls. We're praying in our own time. Uh, we're reading our own Bible, uh, and you're like, man, I feel like I'm checking all these boxes, but why do I still feel like this? I don't know. Might need more water or sleep, or you know, it might just be God calling you to Him uh, to just continue to pray and ask Him to minister to it, whatever it may be. But if we consider that just shall live by faith, right? So we we understood the the eternal meaning of that, but but also for us, we have to live by faith. We have to say, well, by faith, I understand that I am a child of God and that I need to conduct myself and I need to do these things because this is where I'm going to um, remain strong in my relationship with him. So, uh, you know, we're not promised a life without hardship, but we are promised that no matter what you know, we face and what we go through in our lives, that God is, is with us, that he's carrying us, and uh, that we have peace with God as we continue in following him by faith, right? And once again, considering faith, Hebrews 11, verse 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It's substance of something hoped for, right? That is, doesn't seem to make sense, right? right? Because if you're hoping for somebody, uh, for something, there isn't a substance. But what it's saying is this faith is that substance. And uh, so there's, there's something to chew on. Here, so uh, as we uh, next week, we'll dive into uh, verse 18 and and pick up in our study. But let's pray, Father. We are grateful for your word in this time we have in it. We pray that we'll grow, that we will. We're very excited to be going through a new book and to see what you have for us. Prepare our hearts to be hearers and doers of your word in Jesus' name. Amen.